Hi, everyone. You're listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsfield with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the Mayor's Office in the city of Pittsfield. Thanks for tuning in. So today we have with us Alyssa Costa, founder and CEO of Engage Communities Consulting, which is dedicated to helping organizations build stronger relationships within their communities across cultural divides. So before establishing her business last year, Alyssa held the role of Initiative Director for Berkshire Bridges Work in Cities, and that's how many in the Pittsfield and Berkshire community know of her. But prior to moving to the Berkshires, Alyssa spent more than 20 years in New York's capital region, working in statewide grassroots and public policy organizations, including the New York Civil Liberties Union, New York AIDS Coalition, Family Planning Advocates, and Hunger Solutions New York. Alyssa currently serves on the board for Berkshire Business and Professional Women. So we're going to welcome Alyssa. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you. <laughs> and I'm so happy to see you in person. Yes. We are definitely moving toward a new day. So, Fingers <clears throat> crossed. Fingers crossed. That's right. Well, let's get started. I always like to set the stage with some biographical information. So we know that you are not um, a Pittsburgh native. You actually grew up on Long Island, Massapequa yes. to be specific. Mm-hmm. So how was it growing up on Long Island? I mean, it was matzo pizza to the, the Jews and the Italians. Okay, is that what way. they say? <laughs> I mean, that's what that's what we call it. That's okay, what, if you talk to Jerry Seinfeld, is from Massapequa. Okay, so that's what we're famous for, or at least we try to do that now. Okay. Alec Baldwin, but okay, um, Massapequa is actually a very white mm-hmm. middle class community. Okay, so Long Island is quite segregated. Okay, and. Growing up, um, I didn't see a lot of people of color unless I went to the mall. Roosevelt. No, actually the Mass- the Sunrise Mall in Massapequa. Oh, really? I could walk there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And, but there was, I mean, there was clear segregation. Mm. Like, like my junior high school across mm-hmm. the street was an all black community. Yeah. In Amityville, New York, mm-hmm. or mostly black. That couldn't go to my school. Now, when you say couldn't, why not? Because they were in a different school district. And it okay, yeah. So mm-hmm. redlining was always really clear. We can we can, t- we can talk about that, but yeah, really um, yeah. a really privileged upbringing. Middle mm-hmm. class. My dad was a teacher. My mm-hmm. mom stayed at home, um, and I got to play soccer and be in the choir and and all of those things that middle class kids yeah. do. And I always had that plan of I'm going to go to college. I'm going to have a career. I'm going to mm-hmm. get married and all those things. Um, and that's what I did. All right. So we're going to get into more of your your college time uh, later on. Um, But let's talk about how long you've been in Pittsville for right now. How long has it been? Uh, Seven years. Seven years. Going on seven years this summer. All right. And you moved here for the role of initiative director. I actually moved here prior because I fell in love with somebody. Ah. Um, I was I was here before, and I was commuting from mm-hmm. here to Albany. Wow! Yeah, that's a lot of driving. That's an intense commute. So, if you had to think about the difference between Pittsfield and Albany, what would you say the biggest? Because I think they each have their own distinct flavor. They do. I mean, Albany is the, the New York State capital, yeah. so it has its own thing. It has lots of um, state workers mm-hmm. and lots of advocacy organizations and lobbyists and yeah. all of that stuff. You are completely aware of what's going on with state government when okay. you're in the capital region. Okay, It's fairly diverse, 
Um, and for me, growing up on Long Island, it felt like the suburbs. It didn't feel mm. like a city to me. Okay. Because uh, for me, if if you're on Long Island, the city is New York City. Absolutely. It's Manhattan. Yes, even. it is. So, um, so I liked it because it was a little bit smaller mm-hmm. um, and more accessible, but... Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I love politics. So it was just like my, what I wanted to breathe. Well, I need to ask because we're, we're, we're talking about Albany right now. Um, and you went to University of Albany. Yes. Um, I finished at University of Actually, my, my freshman year of college, I went to Elmira College. Did you go to Elmira? I did for one year. So you know I lived in Horseheads. Yes, I know. Yes. I know. And I went to Elmira. I started a year of just my master's studies there. That was before we moved here. Yeah. So I went from very white Massapequa to even whiter Elmira. <laughs> and... <laughs> It was such a culture shock. Like, why did I think that was a good idea? I don't know. Did you do your research? <laughs> well, I thought I did. I didn't think about those things. Right. It was like, oh, I like the program. Right. The scenery is pretty. And I nobody talked to me about culture. Mm-hmm. So, and and yeah. Elmira College is actually smaller than my high school. Yeah, it's a very small college. And, um, and it's definitely one of those institutions where they sort of, they're a world unto their own. Right. Yes. Yeah. But it created my political awakening. How so? Because I'm I did meet more diverse people and I saw mm-hmm. injustice mm. where it was hidden from me mostly or at least I wasn't aware of it in Massapequa. Mm-hmm. Um I became a part of the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. there yep. and um just wanting to um be supportive and seeing how they were treated. And, and I understood then that at the college in 1992, mm-hmm. you could be kicked out of school for being gay. There was no all-inclusive non-discrimination clause. Wow. And so I became wow. aware <clears throat> then mm-hmm. of those type of injustices. Right. Um, and I also learned it used to be an all-women's college, but yeah. there was no longer a women's full-time women's studies program, and there was no full-time female faculty. So did you advocate for that? I did. What happened? Um, we were protesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually on the front page of the Elmira Star-Gazette holding a sign. I used to work for the Star-Gazette. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I know. Small world. Small world. Um and nothing happened, mm-hmm. um, except my grades were really bad because, <laughs> because I was so politically active. So then you left? And my parents were like, we're not paying for this. And I'm like, good, I don't want to be there. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, that's what I like to say. Um, I mean, my, my grades were pretty bad. I left yeah. um, and I stayed home for a semester, went to SUNY Farmingdale and then transferred to the University of Albany. All right. So you had quite the bit of a journey. I mean, yeah, and I think uh, there are people who do that. They don't do great their first year of college. I changed my major. I changed my major from environmental studies to political science because of that experience. Mm. Well, I think that the major that you switched to, it's fitted for you and the career that you actually embarked on. Um, But you're out 
you're actually right about that circuitous journey that um, many of us find ourselves on. I, I think it's the very rare person that has this very linear journey and says, okay, I'm going to go from A to B to C to D. It doesn't really work like that. I mean, life will hand you a variety of situations and you have to figure it out. And sometimes when you're just starting out with your um, undergrad career, you really, you're still young. You don't even know what's You don't out even there. know. I didn't even know political science was a thing. Exactly. So you sort of need to have those real life experiences to tap into your awakening so that you can say, all right, maybe I, I may need to do a shift. So, all right. So you shifted into a new realm. Let's get you into Albany. So, <laughs> so, so you're, in, you're in Albany, right? Um, and it's a vastly different world from Elmira. It is. And Massapequa. And Massapequa. Yes. So for you, what? Was it, ah, this is what I wanted all my life? Or did you find yourself having to find ways to adjust to this new setting? There was a lot of really uncomfortable things that happened for me being Hmm. in... But I was always very curious. Mm -hmm. I actually signed up for an... African-American studies course. I wanted to open my horizons. Mm -hmm. I met... um, low-income folks for really the first time like yeah. building relationship with with them and hearing their stories yeah and um you know trying to understand the world more yeah but i took an i took this um african-american studies course and i was the only white person in the class how did it feel i was very uncomfortable why uh, because i was afraid of saying the wrong thing mm-hmm. i was afraid of being quote-unquote racist mm-hmm. um and i was just afraid Mm. and um, I wound up dropping the class Mm -hmm. because it was so foreign to me Um, and I forgot about that for a while Mm -hmm. I have to say like it you sort of push that out of your mind you you go through the rest of your classes and everything but that stuck with me as that experience stuck with me in many ways as I moved my career forward deciding to um do anti-racist work Mm -hmm. and learn and break down my biases as much as possible Mm -hmm. Um, in my early career I did some um, you know unpacking the the what is it the backpack um, thing of of privilege you know unpacking privilege and all those things Um, really trying to understand Mm -hmm. why my upbringing was so different from other people. Mm. Um, did so, you yeah. did you find that when you were um, because you would go on after after graduating from you you know University of Albany, you know you would go on to work in a variety of the organizations um, you know that we mentioned at the top of the hour, um, you know nonprofits mm-hmm. and 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 the like. Did you find that there was an awareness that you had um, among your colleagues at the time for this work, or was anti-racism and all of that, was that really new for many people? It was really new. Um, My work at the New York AIDS Coalition was Mm -hmm. probably the most groundbreaking for me because there I was advocating on behalf of drug users, sex addicts, uh, trans men and women, mm-hmm. all sorts of folks that I had never spent time with. And right. here I was, this white girl from Massapequa. Right. Um, 
And I had to forge relationships with people who were extremely different from me and had extremely different um, experiences. Yeah. So whether I was, you know, and working for a statewide organization, so being, able, so being able to have folks in Buffalo and Rochester and Syracuse trust me, but also right. New York City and Long Island. Mm-hmm. New York State is very diverse in that. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Everyone always thinks New York is New York City. I'm like... It is not a monolith. It is not a monolith. No way. And um, yeah. so being exposed to very different people yep. and learning that they have real hopes and dreams and experiences and, mm. um, you know, very similar to mine. They want to live safe. They want to thrive. They want to love. They want right. to be, you know, they, they want to feel like they belong places right. and they want to be safe and cared for. Um, so being able to experience that just it blew my mind Mm. from that Massapequa girl and it changed me forever did you find that with the work that you were doing that you were the outlier among your friends and your social circle or were you did you find that you were in like company my social circle was still very white Okay. In middle class, because it's the people in Albany mm-hmm. um, who I was around. You know, I fell in love in college, different man, um, and stayed with him um, and married him. Mm-hmm. So it was all of his friends from Siena College, which mm-hmm. is a very different mm-hmm. <laughs> uni- uh, college experience for him. And um, he's he was from a very um, rural town in upstate New York. So. So it was almost like two separate worlds of my my work life and my my home life. Right. Did you? But did, were you able to find a way to blend the two? Mm, I mean, at that at that point, the lives were. I mean, it, it didn't feel dissonant. It was yeah. just work and yeah. life. Yeah. Um, and I didn't think about it as much. Right. Um, because when you're doing this kind of work, it's it's very. It evolves. Mm. Your understanding of who you are and your place in the world and your impact on other people Mm -hmm. changes over time with that awareness. So I didn't, you know, I was volunteering for an organization in in Albany called Citizen Action Mm -hmm. of New York, and they were doing the anti-racism work Hmm. in the late 90s, early 2000s. And so I was on their board, and I... um, And I went through all of these trainings Mm -hmm. with them, which were just, again, one of those things that just, you know, when you open your mind to those things, Mm -hmm. it changes the way you think about and see the world. Absolutely. Um, Just thinking about that time frame, um, I think... I don't think it was a part of the national discourse. We hadn't yet, like, anti-racism was not mainstream. That was not a mainstream term. So I feel like that work was happening in pockets. It was. And it was, and I don't don't even think we, we might not have even called it anti-racism in the same way that we talk about it today. I think it was more allyship. You know, it's interesting. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading um, reading um, books by Bell Hook, mm-hmm. and um, I saw in there like she uses the term anti-racism, and I remember thinking, 
this has been around like for so long but i feel like it's just been in enclaves like of thought um and it hadn't reached that mainstream discourse where now everyone everyone understands it whether you are understanding of it in um in a proactive way or maybe you don't understand it but i think people know the term anti-racism um so you're you're doing all this work out in albany and then um fast forward you're out here (laughs) you're out here in the Berkshires um obviously commuting back and forth and at some point without getting too much into the background (laughs) of that other life you you realize that um a shift is required and you for I guess the initiative director role is something that comes to your attention and your awareness Mm -hmm. and you think it, it could be a good fit yeah, it seemed like everything in there was what I am passionate about, mm-hmm. um, what I care about, and where my skill set is. It's this building relationships. You know, when when I worked for the New York AIDS Coalition and Family Planning Advocates, um, two at the time very contentious subjects, mm. lobbying in front of a state legislator, mm-hmm. somebody who disagrees with you wholeheartedly, and being able to have that conversation, mm. lobbying legislators who think that be you know that frown upon drug use and and, um, LGBTQ communities Mm -hmm. um, purposely placing myself in situations of powerful people um, and speaking on behalf of or trying to give voice to so Mm -hmm. It, and then the grassroots organizing that is involved in trying to create political change, mm-hmm. um, all sort of like, oh, so all these things I did on a statewide level, I could actually practice in a community. Right. In a community, is, for me, as small as Pittsfield, like, this could, this could work. Right. And it did. I think, I, and I yeah. think so, yeah. <laughs> and it did. So tell us a little bit. For those who might not be familiar with Berkshire Bridges' work in cities, um, as the former initiative director, um, tell tell the listeners a little bit about the work that you did um, and also some highlights that you've taken away from your experience. Yeah, I mean, I have to say when I first moved to Pittsfield, um, you know, I always felt very welcomed. Mm-hmm. And when I started the position, my first instinct was to reach out to elected officials to get because that's what I was doing prior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember reaching out to Senator Hines' office mm-hmm. in um, in Boston and Beth Ann called me. I left a voicemail yeah. and Beth Ann called me back and she said, thank you for taking my call. And that kind of... To, to to contrast the difference between Albany and Boston, or mm-hmm. even Albany and Pitts, Berkshire County, no one would ever say that to you in, right. in, a, in a state legislator office in New York State. They would be like, um, kiss my ring first. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different vibe. It's a different vibe. Yeah. And there's also, they have a lot more constituents. Right, right. Um, and I was like, oh, I literally, and I... I so I started that job like six years ago today, five years ago, six years ago today, yeah. something like that. And um, there's a Facebook post where I was like, I just got thanked for for answering the phone from the state senator's office. Toto, we're not in New York anymore. <laughs> totally different. Totally different. Yeah. I was like, wow, this yeah. like that's that made me feel powerful, right? Um, and so that. So, Working Cities is an initiative of the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. They now call it Working Communities Mm -hmm. because they're all across um, New England. Yeah. And it's about 
figuring out how to help post-industrial cities like Pittsfield and Holyoke um, and Haverhill and all these fo- all these places in in New England. Um, that lost lots of jobs yes. in industry and that have not been able to bounce back. That's right. And they did some research to figure out, well, there were cities that did bounce back. What mm-hmm. was it? Um, and they found that it wasn't like this, the right mix of, of business and types of education mm-hmm. or anything like that. It was basically that all the sectors were aligned toward mostly common goals. Right. So they were all headed in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And they thought if we could get initiatives going that could help align that and mm-hmm. bring people to a common vision right. for their community, that we could um, move the needle to right. become a more thriving community. Um, and it, And for me, when I came to... Pittsfield, it seemed that what was missing from that conversation was mm-hmm. the voice of everyday people. Mm. Those that had become disenfranchised right. over decades right. um, that have been missing from the conversation because I know from the diversity and uh, trainings mm-hmm. and understanding that we thrive more when all voices are heard. Right. It shifted the model, <clears throat> I would say, because you're absolutely right. Working, working cities, um, and and for the listeners, I I I have been a part of working yes. cities from the onset. Um, we were a part of the team that we always joke we would take that van to Boston when we were trying to get the the grant from the Boston Fed, and so seeing working cities from uh, the evolution from an idea to the you know a working concept to where it is. To today um, shows the power of our collaboration in, in this community and when people put people in the community first. So um, uh, this is it's great to see how um, we have definitely evolved in terms of putting the power back to the people. Um, and it hasn't always been that way because oftentimes when there is a issue, the gatekeepers come around the table and say, what should we do? How should we help those who are afflicted? Versus, let's talk to the people who are impacted, who would be um, suffer as a result of whatever issue is at hand, and find out what they think the solution should be. Mm-hmm. It totally turned the model upside down. And, I, and I'm so grateful for the Federal Reserve Bank for the training mm-hmm. and support that they offered because right. you know you didn't you didn't as being part of the initiative did not get the extra stuff that really f- helped us focus this was not about programs this was about system right. change right so when we talk about the greater system mm-hmm. that is naturally the racist systems, the um, economic class systems Mm -hmm. in particular that we focused on um, in the Berkshires that really make it hard for somebody without Mm -hmm. that certain level of knowledge, skill. Um, It doesn't mean that you're not smart or that you don't know, but you don't have access. That's right. You do not. So if you don't know how to conduct yourself in a city council Mm -hmm. meeting properly, if you don't know how to um, jump through the hoops of applying for a particular type of job Mm -hmm. um, or to get a certain loan or Mm -hmm. whatever it is, like those systems have been put in place to keep people out right um and we it hasn't been a conscious thing but that's what it does right and so it's calling attention to that 
bringing those voices in, mm-hmm. and it got it got beautifully messy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great description. I I love I mean I love that beautiful mess of 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 a vibrant democracy. <laughs> okay, because I, I was going to ask you to expound on that, and and what does beautifully messy mean to you? Yeah, I think when power structures that have become very comfortable mm-hmm. start to become uncomfortable mm. like me in that African American studies class like mm. like me in a room of sex workers mm-hmm. um, and, and people of color yeah. to list to to be open-hearted and listen and learn right and what that means is yes we are going to make mistakes yeah we're gonna say the wrong thing we're gonna do something that didn't work the way we expected right. because of our blind spots right. because we are not in my mind and in in someone's mind who has power to change things we are not everybody's mind and experience so we can't possibly know what mm. the impact of what we do is is going to have but you bring those different voices in and you try different things that like what are you talking about right it it changes things and for me that was working cities wednesday Mm, that's right so i just want a a short break i just want for those listeners just tuning in um, my guest today is Alyssa costa founder and ceo of engage communities consulting and we're just talking a little bit about her uh, work in her previous role as initiative director um for uh working cities which um has a new name (laughs) Oh, it no, does? No, 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 no. Did you oh. mention Working Communities? Oh, yeah, the Working Communities grant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I thought no. you meant here. Oh, no, 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 no. But I guess in terms of just broadening its reach, um, in terms of how the Boston Fed is serving communities across the Commonwealth. Yes. Um, but a little bit about Working Cities Wednesday and the impact of that. Mm-hmm. I remember pre-pandemic, um, it was phenomenal. It was the whole act, the whole idea of um, getting people to the meetings. So the idea of providing childcare, providing food to make sure that all those potential barriers to people engaging were removed. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I first started at the mm-hmm. initiative, the the Boston Fed gave me access to a consultant, mm-hmm. a community engagement consultant, who's when and I said, you know, the residents really aren't participating anymore. I don't know what's going going on yeah. can what's your suggestion and he suggested this format which i was so uncomfortable with why because i'm the public policy person i'm used to like running a meeting a specific way mm-hmm. and we dive deep into issues that right. i care about mm-hmm. right and um it was about giving up control to the participants right. and saying you set the agenda and I don't know what you're going to say when you walk in. I don't know what your idea is going to be. And I don't know how much you're going to challenge my power and mm. my understanding of the world. Mm. And that's an uncomfortable place to be. Mm. Were you uncomfortable a lot? Um, to start, yeah. In the beginning. In the beginning. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And we we opened up the... So there was a set of rules yeah. that were written down, like this is how you conduct yourself. This yeah. is this is the flow of the meeting. This you know we're going to introduce ourselves. We do not use titles in this space because we're all Pittsfielders, mm-hmm. and we are going to um, we want to hear your ideas, right. and then we're going to help you as best we can to make your idea come to reality. Right. And we're going to do that because it's not just going to be a bunch of 
um, residents with no power, but the people who can make those changes also need to be in the room. Right. It was a great mix. And so what would happen is someone would say, oh, we need, I, I want to help create a, a, a youth program because my kids don't have stuff to do. Right. And in the room is the United Way and uh, the uh, Girls Incorporated. And they sit down with that person once they pitch their idea and let them know about resources that are available right. and things like that. Right. So all of a sudden I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and word got out pretty quickly yep. that this was a very different space. Yeah. And not only did residents want to be there because they had ideas right. to pitch, but community leaders wanted to be there because they were like, oh, this is this is where the people are. Right. Because it had been really hard prior mm-hmm. to get people to participate in community meetings. Right. And that's because historically, we don't like to think about this, but they showed up. Mm-hmm. They said what they needed to say, and you didn't listen because you had a preconceived idea of what needed to happen. Right. And so we had to cut that, that not cut it, but change that process of thinking. Right. And that is a system. Right. And so holding meetings like that changes the system. Right. Absolutely. You're right. I mean, when you think about that systems change, people don't necessarily think about when there are issues, they don't necessarily go to the systems. Again, if that requires deeper thought and deeper analysis. And a lot more work. Right. And oftentimes, you have to also break apart systems and rebuild. And I think that that was the hardest part, mm-hmm. the system piece of the work, because what it was saying is like, you may have this program, mm-hmm. but the way you are delivering it does not work. And, right. Well, what am I supposed to do as an organization? I have a grant. I said I was going to do it this way. Right. The grant is requiring I do this, do it this way. So, what do I do to even start to change that? Because mm. it changes your whole perception of what your role is as an organization or as a or as a city. Right. To say, you know, this is the way it, it's supposed to be mm-hmm. done, and it's really hard to break out of the comfortable thought patterns yeah it has to in the first step toward change requires that there's something wrong because you have to admit or acknowledge that the system or whatever is at work is not working and that i have found is the most challenging piece of this work is the acknowledgement because before the system cannot can even be dismantled it, there needs to be an acknowledgement. And for some, there is a, a total lack of understanding that there is, even is a system that, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. to even get to that point requires a deeper level of thought and analysis that not everyone has arrived at. And this is why I love another podcaster, Brene Brown, mm. because she talks about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I actually started listening to her podcast, um, Dare to Lead, after I left my my position. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is what we were doing. Yeah. It was about being being vulnerable is oh is okay. And that, yeah. I feel like that's what I do. I step out. I say I say I'm on. Un- I've learned to say yeah. I'm uncomfortable. I've learned to know, to 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 acknowledge my discomfort, mm-hmm. and try to understand why I feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Why do I feel hurt when somebody says you did me wrong? Mm-hmm. Because I, that wasn't my intent. Um, and really look 
into that space because it's in the discomfort where we grow and we yes. learn. Um, and where I've put myself in those types of positions my mm-hmm. entire you know my entire adult life, um, that is still I need to help acknowledge that for anybody yeah. that is really hard. Yeah, it. You're absolutely right. It's it's in that that gray space that the um, that we learn that we realize what is at hand here, but it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and it doesn't feel good. No. And so oftentimes as individuals, we want to run away from that discomfort any way that we can, um, you know, whether by not acknowledging it or quickly moving past it because it is it, it, it requires that level of vulnerability, like you said. And I, I think that's a perfect segue just in terms of that, um, that vulnerability that you talk about and the shift that you made to establishing your own business once mm-hmm. you left um, the initiative director role, which you contributed so many good things to our community. Um, and you have been able to build so many strong collaborations and partnerships with people in the city of Pittsville. And you, mis- you decided to shift. Mm-hmm. And I think to your point, when even when we initiate change, change in and of itself is an uncomfortable thing because it, it comes with its own set of baggage. So tell me a little bit about that shift to establishing your own business and um, how you came to select that name for your for your organization. Yeah, yeah. I was. Um, I I want to acknowledge that the. I mean the. The work that I did with Berkshire Bridges Working Cities was the, my favorite job ever. Mm-hmm. It was also the hardest. And because of that, it was it was really emotionally challenging. And then COVID hit. Yeah. And so I did a year of, of COVID, and I just, I, I didn't know how to do community engagement over Zoom. Yeah. I didn't know, like, that was just beyond me. And on top of that, you know, I was, I was caring for my mom. And, you know, I lost my mom in in 2020 as well. And I recognized that my mental health was not Mm -hmm. good. And so I I chose, I I was privileged to be able to leave and say, I I can't do this. I need to rest. Right. Um, And I did. I rested for like six months. I mean, I I poked my head in here Mm -hmm. and there and and tried to keep up a little bit. But I realized, no, I got to, I got to back up. Right. And in that process, I, I started to think about, well, what will I do next? And I realized, or I decided for myself that working for someone else was going to be filled with conflict, probably, mm-hmm. or that's what I imagine, mm-hmm. because I'm going to walk into an organization and want to change the system. Mm. As soon as I go in, <laughs> I'm gonna be like, and that's a terrible place to start off at any yeah. organization. <laughs> so let me just tell you what's wrong here, right? Because I had I had built up a lot of frustration right. with systems right. because of of seeing the barriers that that people in our community and communities across the country face, and like going. Gosh, I don't know, but mm. also I was hearing from other folks that they um, that they wished they could have somebody 
they could they could hire someone like me to do mm-hmm. community engagement because okay. they they were you know they were impressed by the the community engagement that we were able to do there. Right. Um, but they couldn't afford that mm-hmm. for a full time position. Right. Um, and then the Federal Reserve Bank reached out to me and said, "Will you help us support the other communities that are getting this grant in Vermont and Maine?" Yeah. Um, because we think you have valuable insight for them. And we'll pay you. Yeah. And I said, really? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. Um, and I realized, oh, I can still do this work that I love mm-hmm. and do it for a bunch of different organizations. So that was your aha moment. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and so I... I sat with that for a while, mm-hmm. um, and then I talked with Deborah Gallant at Eforall. Um, I'm like, "Hey, I'm thinking of starting my own business. Like, I don't know what to do." Yeah, and she says, "Oh, join our program." Of course, she said that. Right. <laughs> uh, and I was like, "It couldn't hurt." Yeah, and and so I did. I just so at the same time of of sort of starting to do work, I went through the Eforall program to learn how to run a business. So I don't, you know, destroy my credit or anything like right. that. Right. We don't want that. <laughs> No. Okay. Um, and also, you know, gain some connections. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I did that in the second half of 2021. And the name? How did you settle on the name? Um, it was. I had a really hard time naming the organization. Yeah. And then I just decided I'm about engaging communities. Yeah. But I had to be really careful because engaged sounded like engagement services, weddings. <laughs> Um, but I'm I'm gonna make it work anyway. Right. <laughs> well, I, I think you know, thinking about the name, thinking about your background, everything that you've done, I feel like it's actually really fitting. It sums up perfectly um, the work that you've done um, and the work that you propose to do. Uh, for our, our listeners just tuning in, my guest today is Alyssa Costa, founder and CEO of Engage Communities Consulting. And we're just talking a little bit about um, just her business and um, how she settled on the name. But also, Alyssa, tell us what you, what you hope to achieve with the work that you are doing. Yeah, thank you. I think organizations are constantly trying to work within communities, Mm -hmm. nonprofits, um, cities, towns, and even businesses. And a lot of times we don't even realize as organizations the mistakes that we're making to uh, lose trust Mm. in our community. Um, And what ha- and and what we see from that is a lack of engagement mm-hmm. in um, community practices and processes. It becomes a smaller and smaller group of of folks who are making decisions, and that's when the everything kind of doesn't work. So how right. do we prevent that? We have to have those relationships, mm-hmm. and those relationships need to be authentic. Right. And in order to do that, we need to be uncomfortable and vulnerable. Right. And how can I, in my experience, help organizations do that? Right. And because it is not easy. Right. And uh, nobody is perfect right. at it, right? So all of this stuff that I do, I never claim to say, I am the expert on anti-racism right. or community engagement. It's here's a process and a practice that you can go through. Here's a way of understanding the world mm-hmm. and your constituencies to 
um, build a relationship so mm-hmm. that when there is conflict, right. you can address it right. instead of ignoring it. Um, because you're comfortable saying, ooh, something isn't right there. Right. And what can we do together? <clears throat> so we've spoken, Alyssa, um, in our informal conversations, and I'm a black woman, you're a white woman, <laughs> and we've talked about allyship, and we've mm-hmm. talked about the different perspectives that, um, especially coming to this work, that we each bring. And I think you offer a unique perspective. You're able to have conversations um, with individuals who may come from the same background as you, who may not not even have awareness, a glimmer of what is this even about? What is happening right now? And what and are you talking about? What is that word? Exactly. <laughs> and you're able to bring that unique perspective because of your lived experience. I think that's so important as as individuals, we all come to the table with our lived experience. And there are people that you're able to um, provide an awakening to or even, you know, give some food for thought. Because they are able to say, oh, well, she went through, you know, we have similar backgrounds or something like that. So I think that there is value in this deeply complex work. And and you bring a really important perspective to it. Thank you. I, I think this, this I'm, I'm focusing a lot on the word practice mm-hmm. because it is a constant, it's, it's like playing an instrument yes. or playing a sport. Yes. You are never going to do it perfectly. Right. Um, but you are going to make a mistake, pick yourself up, and, and keep trying. Because that is, for me, this work mm-hmm. as a person of privilege. Mm-hmm. And I don't have all privilege. Right. I still have identities that, that oppress me. Right. But privilege in that I am, I am middle class. I have a stable and supportive family. Mm-hmm. And, I am, um, and I have had experiences that have given me those aha moments. And I can share those right. and say... You know, if if you ever wondered about this, why this bothers you about somebody else, mm-hmm. it's because of what has what you have been socialized to believe. And we, in order to create a just community, and and I believe that the work of our community is the most important, especially in these very scary moments that we are or lives that we're living now. Mm-hmm. That the work of community is the most important because mm-hmm. if we can we can forge relationships with the people around us, we right. prevent some of that conflict from getting into our community. Right. So that practice of trying to understand and trying to learn and being open and screwing up and realizing you screwed up and feeling that pain, but saying that is my, that is mine to hold right i've harmed you kind of thing mm-hmm. like all of that is a is a practice right. and i'm nobody is perfect at it but we have to move mm-hmm. the the ball down the field we may not get to the goal right. in in our lifetime right. but we have that journey um, and it is it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I think that each of us, you're absolutely right about the whole lifetime thing because I feel like each of us, each generation, we have our own assignment. Yeah. And I don't think that the job will be totally done or complete, to be honest, because if we look back to even like, let's just look at the civil rights movement. I mean, let's look at the Voter Rights Act of 1965. I mean, like, that's 1965, right? Yeah. And, and so that's not a far ways off. And... You know, so we have a lot of work to do, but I feel like each of us, we have our assignment. 
and we have to complete it. And then we pass the baton to the next generation and then they have their specific assignment and then they'll do their work. And I think cumulatively speaking, all of it will help to continue to move that needle toward change that we're seeking um, as a society. But I want to backtrack a little bit because you mentioned the word privilege. And I think that oftentimes there's a lot of confusion confusion. around that word. So could you just explain what that means? Because a lot of times people think, well, I'm not rich. What are you talking about privilege? I don't have a ton of money, you know? And so explain that. Yeah. And I I realized it as I was saying it. It was privilege and then oppressed. Yeah. So... We all, um, because of our identities, are either seen by the world in one way or another. And because of the way we're seen and the way the systems are set up, we have, there are barriers that some people have that we don't have because of those identities. Mm-hmm. So because I, I, I am white, because I am middle class, mm-hmm. I have certain priv- I have certain things I didn't have to overcome mm-hmm. to in my life. I didn't have to worry about my finances and take three jobs. Mm-hmm. I didn't have um, huge. I'm very privileged that I did not have huge college loans, mm-hmm. and I was able to pay those off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most people cannot. I am very. Um, privileged because I could live in safe neighborhoods mm-hmm. um, where I didn't have to worry about my my safety and all of those things. That doesn't mean that I didn't work hard and I didn't have struggles because I'm still a woman in a man's world. Mm-hmm. I was, I'm still paid less than men in my positions. Mm-hmm. I am still, um, I still have to deal with the threat of sexual assault or deal with the um, issues of being treated differently by elected officials when I lobby them and mm-hmm. all of those things. Mm-hmm. So I, so it, the world is complex. We are simultaneously privileged and oppressed. Right. And that is really hard for people to hold. Yeah. Like our world is that complex. We can be sad about one thing right. at the same time as being happy at a, about another thing. Right. And it's we were not taught to think that way and right. to hold conflicting thoughts. Right. And I think that's why privilege and oppression are so difficult for people to understand. Right. And that's just from my perspective. So there may be somebody who is white but also um, you know, economically under I was gonna mention that exactly. And that is a whole other level of of challenge in your life. Yeah. And but you didn't have to also be black right. and deal with the challenges of being black in our right, world. Right. I I think that that's that's an important um, point that you made because I often sum up privilege as the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily take into account your economic status. There is a benefit of the doubt that is attributed. Regardless, yeah, and um, and and so it's that benefit of the doubt that um, that affords perhaps access to different things. Um, again, not taking into consideration other factors, but just on the um, surface level. Mm-hmm. So, it, privilege is a very um, complex thing to understand, but I think. If individuals choose to learn more about it, they can understand how it even came to be because nothing in that country just happens, right? It's always connected 
to our history and it's always connected to um, our structures and our social hierarchy and things like that um, and and I think it blows people's minds even when you talk about race and say wait wait hold on race is a social construct it's not even real <laughs> but you I was know. just going to say there's a secret it's all made up it's all made up we make up everything it's not real <laughs> it's like we're the only real thing is that we're human beings and that we're I, I, we're I right think I'm here yeah. we're, we're, we're both here we're both human <laughs> Um, we look different, but those are like surface things. But we both are human beings, and that is our connective tissue as people who populate this thing we call Earth. We are alive, and we have these great, glorious experiences that allow us to experience life here. And it's all the other things that we create among ourselves to create this you know situation yeah. that we find ourselves in yeah so and yeah so it so I, I i appreciate you asking that and of course it's so complex that it took me so long to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> like am i ever gonna stop talking it's okay <laughs> Oh, goodness. So for those listeners who are just tuning in, my guest today is Alyssa Costa. She is founder and CEO of Engage Communities Consulting. And we're just having a really spirited discussion right now on just building relationships and acknowledging barriers sometimes to to those relationships within our communities. So I think the work that you're doing um, is hugely important um, for, you know, we're three months into 2022. You know, aside from your business, do you have any other goals that you have set your sights on? I'd love to go on vacation. Oh, where? <laughs> Anywhere. No, um, I, I really want mm-hmm. to um, focus on my business in a way that it's, you know, it, starting a consulting business is yeah. kind of more... It's it's different than starting a brick and mortar business. Mm-hmm. It's not like you get customers rolling in or something. You right. um, the projects kind of start and stop, and so I'm sort of through that yeah. learning process, and also the learning process of is this what I want to offer? How do, how can I make it better? Mm-hmm. Um, is there what? So it's it's. You know, it's being comfortable with that learning process and yeah. being like, oh, that didn't go so well. Yeah. Um, and so I'm grateful that the organizations I've been working with are um, learning with me and realize that I, you know, I want to make it, I want to make this, this work better. Right. And, you know, part of this, so through the Working Cities Berkshire Bridges, mm-hmm. I was doing the Bridges Out of Poverty workshops. And that really focused on our differences in culture around economic class. Yep. And economic class almost exclusively yeah and one of the hardest things for me personally in in offering that um, is after the george floyd incident and black lives matter Mm -hmm. um, it just felt tone deaf Hmm. to me to only be talking about economic class when we talk about cultural differences Mm -hmm. um it's it's a valuable segue for people who are really uncomfortable talking about race mm-hmm. to start thinking about the, ec- the the economic classes of culture and those differences. They intersection, right? And, and they intersect pretty closely, mm-hmm. um, and it really helps to open people up to that. Mm-hmm. So I've been, I want to take what I've learned from mm-hmm. from the bridges out of poverty model and and build in those intersections. Right. So. Um, you know, there are 
there are challenges in understanding related to economic class. And then if you add in race, race. LGBTQ status, um, disability, mm-hmm. or anything like that, like like what what those extra challenges on top right. of that and i think you know i just did my first um workshop for that and i think it's it's working out pretty well so well i think you know to your point where you you do the work and then you have the analysis mm-hmm. and you think about okay what worked really well here what didn't um and getting that feedback too i mean and i think the good thing about it is it's not full stop period work is done it this is, is never done. This is ongoing work where you, the wheels are constantly in motion. So you're you're always going to be in a state of analysis, mm-hmm. always going to be thinking about what was that input? You know, how can I, you know, make this better? And I think that, you know, you have you are so ahead of the curve because you have accepted the uncomfortability of this of this work. Mm-hmm. That the fact is that it's part and parcel of it. You're never gonna feel like, oh wow, this feels great. Perfect. Right. I done period. Right. Like <laughs> that was awesome. Like, no, you're gonna feel like woof. Wow, that, that was a session. That didn't land the way I expected right. it to. And that's okay. Yes. Right. So, at, but when and, and also to understand, like, our emotional reactions are right. just what they are, emotional reactions, right. right? So, I do an exercise in a workshop, and somebody is not happy with it, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't understand why you're asking me to do this. Like, this doesn't work at all. Yeah. And you think, oh... Maybe I shouldn't have done that. And then I'm like, and then I have yeah. to like, and I have that reaction, that defensive yes, reaction yeah, that we get when, yeah. when we, f- and then it's like, wait, that's okay. It's, it's the, the thought process is not for everyone. Not everyone yeah. learns the same. Yeah. I am not going to make, if I have a workshop with 50 people, all 50 people are not going to be happy. Right. And not going to feel like they learned something. Right. And that's okay mm. because it's never going to be perfect it's not meant for everyone not right. everyone is open to receive right i cannot communicate perfectly right. to everyone but it goes back to that messy relationship building yeah you're going to have a moment where you say something or do something and that person is not happy with you yeah yeah and you have you have two two choices you can let it eat you up yep or you can be like analyze it look at it oh it made me feel this way mm-hmm. okay interesting that i felt that way but that i'm going to let that go and just move i have to move forward right you cannot allow that moment to distract you from the bigger from the group that's waiting to be to receive that information and you have to almost like let that person go and say okay it's it's fine you know um you're entitled to feel the way that you feel that's it's okay and when that person wants to come around, whenever that time is, that seed that you've planted is there. So at mm-hmm. least they'll have some point of reference to be able to say, well, I kind of did hear a little bit about this. Let me look into it. Th- that's if they get to that point of awakening. Some people might never. And might never. But you know what, though? If, you know, again, I always look back to, again, the people who have come before. And if they were dissuaded by the naysayers and at the time of folks who were deeply entrenched in civil rights work when the whole system we're not even talking one or two individuals when a whole system was completely (laughs) completely um 
against you, then you, how, where did they find that optimism to say, well, we still believe in voting rights for all people, you know, and, and, and other rights and fair housing and fair employment and all those things. And, and they had to not focus on who wasn't with them, but focus on who is with them. And so I think that's an important component of your work. I see our time is whittling down. So I don't want, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you with all this complex work that you're doing, where, what do you do to unwind and settle your mind? <laughs> Um, I love to cook and I love to play music. Nice. And sing. Um, I cook a lot, mm-hmm. um, but I learned to play bass guitar a few years ago because um, my partner Ted mm-hmm. um, plays guitar, and I was like, I want to get in on this. Okay. And so I learned bass guitar so I could do some basic jam sessions. All right. And it is fun. Um, we. We have a studio downstairs, Ted built on his own, and we go down there. Wait, wait, was this a pandemic-built studio? or No. Mm. I met him, and he was like, I'm going to build a studio. I'm like, yeah, okay. And he did? He built the studio. Does it look like a studio studio? Yeah. Yeah, it's got a control room and everything. Fancy. It is very fancy. And so I have to get serious when I get down there with my bass guitar. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, this is for real. Yes. And you know, one day I'll get back to throwing parties where I get to I do know. both. You, yeah. you used to love to throw parties. I love parties. I know you did. Yeah. One day. One day. One day. All right. So if you, all right, um, we're down to about <laughs> two minutes, but I'm going to ask you two last questions. Um, who or what inspires you? Oh gosh, so many people inspire me when I see somebody in our community or friends struggle and overcome something mm-hmm. I'm like oh how did they do that like that is just super inspiring to me okay. the strength of, of human beings is amazing I concur um, and if you had to choose one word to describe yourself what would that be I really like to say brave okay um, and bravery is, is not about not being afraid mm-hmm. it's doing something even though you are afraid that's right. And I am afraid all the time. <laughs> I'm afraid right now. <laughs> and I do it, I do it anyway. Yeah, good um, for you. I have values and it's just important to me. Good for you, Alyssa. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for um, being vulnerable in this conversation and um, sharing more about your work. Um, and if folks want to learn more about you, where can they go? Oh, I wish I had a website. I'm still too new. Um, but you can find me on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, Alyssa Costa and Engaged Communities Consulting. Um, I'm also very active on Facebook and Instagram, believe it or not. All right. Well, check your DMs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, everyone, you've been listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsfield with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the Mayor's Office in the city of Pittsfield. Thanks, everyone, for listening and have a great day.